We all want to be blessed. And we pray for God to bless us. There's nothing wrong with that. God's work speaks of all kinds of blessings. There are physical blessings and spiritual blessings that he pours out into our life. But is there one blessing that is more important than all other blessings? Is there one blessing that is central through which all other blessings flow? Open your Bible, if you haven't already, to Psalm 32. It should be page 427. And you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. Psalm 32. How blessed is he whose wrongdoing is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is a person whose guilt the Lord does not take into account. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality failed as with the dry heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not hide my guilt. I said, I will confess my wrongdoings to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Certainly in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You keep me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way in which you should go. I will advise you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or like the mule which have no understandings. Whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise they will not come near to you. Sorrows of the wicked are many. The one who trusts in the Lord, goodness will surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. The title of the message this morning is The Greatest Blessing. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. We thank you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for Jesus and what he has done for us in our lives. Father, today we're looking at this psalm that's familiar. Known truths, things we're probably very well aware of. But Lord, we need these to be fresh in our minds. We need, Father, to better understand the blessedness of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. That we'd not be, we'd not be drawn away by things that are shiny and sparkly, but are not from you and not what you would have for us. Lord, your word, Jesus sent 72 out. And they came back rejoicing that even the demons were subject to them in his name. And his response was to tell them, don't rejoice. Demons are subject to you. Rejoice. Your name is written down in heaven. Greater blessing than authority over unclean spirits is the blessing of salvation blessing of the forgiveness of sins. Help us to marvel at that. To be awed by the fact the great and the awesome God of the Bible would look down upon sinful people, rebels, and He would care about us. And He would long to see us restored to Him. The kind of relationship we ought to have. So he would take the initiative to send his son. And he would send his son to pay the penalty our sins had earned. 
His son would die, would rise, would ascend to heaven, and, and then you would send your spirit to call us to you, to reveal our sin, to show us Jesus. Father, everyone in here today that is saved is a testimony of your grace, a testimony of your mercy and your goodness and your unbelievable faithfulness to people who are not always faithful to you. Stir our hearts afresh at the greatness of the salvation we have through Jesus. Cause us to fall in love with you all over again. To have sort of a first love for Jesus that we had when we first understood what he had done. Holy Spirit, come today and apply the word and heal broken hearts. Restore prodigals. Save the lost. Set captives free. Open spiritually blind eyes and raise the spiritually dead to new life in Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 32 is one of two psalms David wrote after his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah the Hittite. What we read in verses 1 and 2 is the key to the whole psalm. How blessed is he whose wrongdoing is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is a person whose guilt the Lord does not take into account and whose spirit there is no deceit. Everything else in this psalm David talks about is flows out of the fact that he had been forgiven. And what a blessing that mercy, that grace was in his life. Salvation, forgiveness of sins, it is the blessing. Every other blessing flows out of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And so the key truth today is salvation. It's the greatest blessing we can experience. Salvation is the greatest blessing we can experience. With this, there are three essentials for experiencing the blessing of salvation. Three facts we have to know. Number one is we depend on Jesus alone for salvation. We depend on Jesus alone for salvation. As David talks about his sins in verses 1 and 2, he uses three different Hebrew words to describe sin. The first is translated in my Bible as wrongdoing. The second is translated as sin. The third is translated as guilt. Wrongdoing, it means to knowingly and willingly do what God has expressly forbidden. Right. So this is to intentionally cross a boundary. We know God said, thou shalt not. And we said, oh, yes, I shall. Sin is basically means to miss the mark, right, to fall short. Several word pictures we could use with that. You could see it as a marksman. You go out to, to shoot your target. And, of course, you aim for the bullseye, but you miss. You don't quite hit it. Or you determine you're going to set a goal of doing 50 push-ups a day and you only get 40. You fall short. You, you miss the mark a little bit. That's sin. And then the word translated as, as guilt could probably be better translated as iniquity. And in fact, in your Bible, it probably is. And this word basically uh, refers to the distortion of God's moral standard. And, and in light of what David had done, it's especially true in relation to 
sexuality. Right? So God has said, you know, sex outside the bonds of marriage. And David had, in fact, committed adultery and then had a man murdered to cover it up. He had twisted, distorted God's moral standard. And we see all three of these kinds of sin in David's life, in this example of David and Bathsheba, David with Uriah. But we also see all three are common in our world today. It is very common for people to to know what God has said and to thumb their nose at God. I'll, I'll do what I want. Ain't nobody going to tell me to do what I can or what I can't do. There are many who strive maybe to live for the Lord, um, but we're still flawed, sinful people. And so despite our best efforts to be holy as He is holy, we fall short of that standard. And then we see a, a great distorting and a great twisting of God's moral code, particularly as it relates to sexuality in our culture today. So those are the sins. Then David also uses three different words to describe forgiveness. Forgiven, covered, not taken into account. The word forgiven basically means to be lifted off and carried away. So picture in your mind you're carrying a load that is really more than what you can bear. And you go a few steps and you fall down under the weight of the load and Though you're trying to get up, you can't. And somebody else comes along and they lift that weight off of you. Not only lift it off so you can stand up, but they lift it off and they carry it away for you. That's the picture of forgiven. Covered. It's covered. Imagine using whiteout to cover up a mistake, but not, not the whiteout that we have. I know I use this whiteout type of stuff and you can always tell where you've whited something out, where you've covered it up. This isn't like that. Imagine a, a whiteout you could use that would be so perfect that no one could tell that a mistake had ever been made there. And it was just like it was prior to the mistake. That's covered. Not taken into account, this is like having a debt canceled. You go to, to pay your bill only to find out it was taken care of by someone else. Years ago when I was, uh, Kelly and I were dating, maybe, I think we were just dating then. I was a poor college student struggling to pay my bills and go to the gym. And I, went to, and I was behind on my gym payment and because the guy was a friend of mine. He let me accrue a debt rather than kick me out when I got behind. And I went in at Christmas time to pay my multi-month debt. Uh, and it was all paid in full. I don't know who paid it. It just somebody else went in there and, and paid my debt and wiped that slate clean. That's what not taken into account means. And so we we see this. We see two points David is making in this. First is any sin can be forgiven. Right? For all of us, there have been times where we knew what God said and we did the opposite. We, we just did what we wanted to do despite knowing what God said we should do. It wasn't a lack of knowledge. We didn't fall short. We just said, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And David's point is that wrongdoing can be 
forgiven. But then there's also been times from, for us, we tried to live for Jesus. We truly did our best. But in, in a particular moment, the flesh or the temptation overcame us. We gave into it and we did what we didn't want to do. We, Like the Apostle Paul says in, Re- in Romans 7, the wretched man that I am, I, I do what I don't want to do. And David's point is that that sin can be covered. And there's likely been times in all of our lives where we have twisted God's moral standards. Whether through, maybe through premarital sex, through an adulterous relationship, through pornography, through some other twisting of God's moral guidelines to, to fit our particular needs or wants in a, in a moment. But whatever it was, that debt, that guilt can be not taken into account. It can be canceled. So that's point one. All sins can be forgiven. Second, only God can do these things for us. Regardless of how we live, we have sinned against God. Regardless of whether we fell short and we didn't want to, but we did, or whether we thumbed our nose at God, we have sinned. And there's nothing we can do to fix that sin. We cannot forgive ourselves our sins against God. We have sinned against God. Only God can forgive us. We cannot cover our sin. The, the Bible is filled with examples of people trying to cover their sins. Adam and Eve sinned. And what did they first do? They, they sowed fig leaves to cover their sin. But they couldn't do it. God had to kill an animal and make them clothing. David tried to cover his sin. But he couldn't do it. You and I, we cannot cover our sin. Only God can do that. And we cannot cancel our debt to God. Our sin has earned a wage. It has earned a debt. And we can't, we can't cancel it. We can't do more good than bad and, and overcome our debt. There is nothing we can do to fix that. In fact, Isaiah would tell us that our righteousness is like filthy rags. Now, to me, I know you're familiar with that passage, but to me that, that is always startling. Right? So first, it's because of what filthy rags are. Several pictures went with it, but the primary one would be that of the rags lepers used to wrap up their sores. If you're familiar with leprosy in the Bible, it had boils and sores that ran and oozed and they bled and it was just filthy, it smelled, and it was even infectious. And so when, the, when they would come up, a leper would take strips of cloth and they would wrap it up. And they would wrap it, but it would still ooze. It would ooze to the point it oozed out of the bandages. And, and those bandages, once they were so, sopping wet and dripping, they had to be taken off. But they were so filthy, they couldn't be cleaned again. They were only fit to be taken and burned. You couldn't wash them enough to get them clean to reuse them. You just had to destroy them. That's filthy rags. And what, what God's Word tells us in Isaiah is, our sin is not like filthy rags. That's what we would expect. Our righteous deeds 
are like filthy rags. The very best you and I can do apart from Jesus is a filthy rag. That is our righteous acts apart from Christ. And so our efforts to overcome it, our efforts to make it better, our efforts to to even the scales and even the balance only make it worse against us. Only God can cancel our debt. And the good news is not is God can. The good news is God will. God will forgive our wrongdoings. God will cover our sin. God will cancel the debt of our iniquity. But he only does it through Jesus. Look at what we're told in the New Testament. And you were dead in your wrongdoings. And the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us of our wrongdoings, canceled the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and has taken it out of the way and nailed it to his cross. All three of the word pictures for forgiveness are used here. Our sin is taken out of the way and it is placed upon the cross. Since Jesus paid the penalty for our debt, our debt has been canceled. Jesus has caused the, the slate against us to be wiped clean so that we are righteous in God's eyes. We are a new creation. The old is gone and a new has come. We're not the old person any longer. We have been Made righteous just as though we had never sinned. Only God can do this in your life and mine. And God will do this for anyone in the world. However, God only does this for those who repent of their sins. And place their faith in Jesus Christ. Now believing in Jesus, repentance toward God, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ... Faith in Jesus is more than saying, I believe there was a guy named Jesus who lived. That's not the faith that saves. That doesn't save us. Faith isn't saying, I believe in God. Belief in God does not save us. Faith that there was a guy named Jesus who died and rose again. Even that isn't the faith that saves The faith that saves believes in God, believes Jesus lived, he died, and he rose again. And the faith that saves believes Jesus and what he has done is the only reason we're saved. That faith in Jesus requires us to let go of our self-righteousness. It requires us to say, my righteousness is as filthy rags. Nothing I do adds to my salvation. Nothing I do makes me saved. Nothing I do keeps me saved. I am saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not my good deeds, not my good works. I am saved by grace, through faith, in Christ. And that plus nothing equals salvation. That's the faith that saves. So today... My question, it isn't so much do you believe in God? Probably you do. You wouldn't be here. 
Do you believe in Jesus who died and rose again? Again, you wouldn't be here probably if you didn't. Question though. Do you believe that you're saved only because of what Jesus has done? Or have you added to your salvation? Have you helped in your salvation? Have you contributed to it in some way? Because the reality is the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes the salvation necessary. And if you or I today, we're here and we're saying, well, no, I'm saved by faith. And then I do this and I complete it. We're probably not really saved because that's not faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus lets go of self-sufficiency. Faith in Jesus lets go of self-righteousness. Faith in Jesus lets go of self-justification. And faith in Jesus just says it's Jesus completely and nothing else is what saves me. God saves us. He forgives us. And He covers us. And He cancels our debt. But only... Through faith in Jesus. To experience the blessing of salvation, we must depend on Jesus alone for our salvation. Secondly, we confess our sins to the Lord. Verses 3 through 5, David begins to recount what it was like. Because if you know the story, David sinned, did all these things to cover it up. And thought he got away with it and, and kept it covered up for a little while until God sent Nathan the prophet to come and bring him really a message from the Lord to bring him to the point of conviction. And this, this was an extensive period of time. I mean, it was several months. And just from the story in Samuel, you would think, well, David was okay with it. David was fine while he lived in this sin. But when we come to this psalm, we find out that's not the way it really was. Look at how he describes his time while he waited. While he held in his sin and didn't confess it. While I kept silent, that means he didn't confess it. My body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality failed as with the dry heat of summer. I think we could take from this. David was miserable. During this time. He felt like his body wasted away. He groaned. All day long. Day and night the hand of God was heavy upon him. And his strength. That his vitality failed. It evaporated like water. During a summer drought. David was fully aware of his guilt before God. David knew what he had done. He was not thinking it was justified in any way. He was just going to do whatever he wanted to do. And while he was waiting, while he was refusing to confess, he was miserable. His stubborn refusal to turn to the Lord and cry out for mercy made his life just miserable. Now, he probably put on a good face in public, but privately, he had all of this going on. Now, David had known wonderful times of fellowship with God, but now all of that was gone. He was hiding from God. He was hiding from uh, God's conviction. 
He knew what it was to be with God, to be close to God, but now he had lost all of that. Sin had broken his fellowship and had now made his life miserable. As I think about my life, I can think of times where David's experience was mine. Did not confess my sin. I knew what I had done was wrong. And God just flat made me miserable. One, one time in particular, I was in high school and I was doing many things I should not have been doing, but was enjoying doing these things. And so I wasn't ready to turn them over to the Lord and own up to my parents what was going on. And so I hid it and I was really good at hiding it, was able to cover it up, um, was able to act as though all was well in my life. No one knew I was miserable during that time. But I hated the night because at night it was me and God. Right? It was during the summer. Mom went to work at night. Dad went to bed early. My brother was doing whatever he was doing. And at the house it was just me in a quiet house with my thoughts, my sin, my refusal to repent. And the hand of the Lord was heavy upon me. And so what I would do was... I would stay up as late as I possibly could watching movies. I mean, I would stay up until the test pattern came on the TV, back when TVs went off. I would put in a VCR tape and I would watch until like three or four in the morning until I was so tired I could not keep my eyes open. And it was all very intentional. The movie kept me from thinking about what was going on. Staying up that late kept me from having to lay in bed and be awake and think about it. I was so tired, I would drag myself to bed. I would lay down and fall asleep almost instantly. And I would get up and do it all again the next day. And it was all because, like David, I was keeping silent about my sin. God's hand was heavy upon me. My mother, I mentioned to the youth Wednesday or Sunday night, my mother prayed that for me. Always prayed that sin would make me miserable. I would never be able to be comfortable in my sin. At the time, I really didn't like that prayer. And when she would pray it in front of me, I would be like, Mom! Um, but she didn't care what I wanted. She didn't want me to be able to be comfortable in my sin. Now I understand what a blessing, what a blessing it is. When we refuse to submit to God's convicting hand, we are always the ones to suffer. The weight of guilt and shame and sin is great. It's heavy. It's misery-inducing. We might be able to put on a happy face in public. But privately, when we're alone, we're miserable. We're weak. The longer we refuse to repent, the longer we prolong this misery. We hurt ourselves. When we resist God's conviction and we refuse to repent. Because we can't live in unconfessed sin and open rebellion against God and, and live with a close relationship with Him at the same time. Right? Sin either pushes out my relationship with God or my relationship with God either pushes out sin. But we can't do both at the same time. But this does raise a question. If God loves us, why does He convict us like this if He knows it makes us 
miserable? The answer is because God loves us. God loves us too much to leave us in our sin. Look at what God's word says. You have forgotten the exhortation which addresses you as as sons or children. My son, do not regard lightly, in some translations say despise, the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're punished by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he disciplines every son whom he accepts. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you're without discipline, of which all have become partakers, you're illegitimate children and not sons. Now this is powerful passage, important passage in our lives as disciples of Jesus. And there are two primary ideas should stand out. First, God will call his children on the carpet for their sins. At Romans 8.1, we are free of condemnation. But being free of condemnation is not the same as being free to sin. In fact, Peter will say, we're free, but don't use your freedom as a cloak for sin. Right? Rather, use it in love to serve one another. Free from condemnation isn't the same thing as free from conviction. Freedom to live in sin. In fact, being a child of God... It ensures we are going to be disciplined by him. So much so, we're not to think, treat it lightly. Right When the Lord convicts us, we're not to despise it and think, oh, I hate this. We're not to treat it lightly and think, oh, this is no big deal. And we're not to be discouraged by it. And the reason we're not going to be discouraged by it is because... Of why God holds us accountable. He addresses you. He deals with you. As sons. For whom the Lord loves. He disciplines. And he punishes every son. Whom he. Accepts. God holds us accountable for sin. Because he loves us. As our father. And we have to understand the difference between God. As judge. And God as father. God is judge to unbelievers and they will be condemned for their sin and their lack of repentance. God is father to believers. And as father, he will discipline us for our wrongdoing. Now, there is a a contrast being made in this passage between those who are the children of God and those who are not. Those who are the children of God endure discipline when they stray. Those who are not the children of God do not endure discipline when they stray. Which can seem maybe odd. But think of it this way. If you go to Walmart, when when your kids were younger, went to Walmart, your kids lost their minds and acted crazy. Now, yours probably didn't. Mine may have. You disciplined them. Right? You took them in hand and you did what needed to be done to discipline them in the moment. But when you went to Walmart, somebody else's kids lost their minds and acted crazy. You don't rip off your belt and whip them right there in the store. Why? Because they're not your kids. You may have wanted to, but you didn't. Because they're not your kids. It's a similar picture of what's being painted there. So here's the question. Someone 
lives in sin guiltlessly. There is no conviction. There is no discipline from the Lord. What does that say about them? Well, according to God's word, it says they're not his children, which means they're not really saved. This is huge for us to understand. God's discipline is painful in the moment. Surely it will be at times. And the longer we resist, the more painful it gets. But that pain is God loving us. That pain is God dealing with us as His children. That pain is God trying to push us back into the right way of life. If, on the other hand, there is no pain, there is no conviction, there is no discipline, that that is not a picture of I've arrived at a plane where I have a relationship with God better than everyone else and God gives me this extra deal that no one else gets. Now that's what the... Many will say that. But that's not the reality. The reality is anyone who lives in rebellion against God, in sinful life, without conviction, without discipline, it is not that they have a special deal. It is that they are unconverted. They are lost. They are not Children of God. We must understand that. We must understand it, one, for ourselves. This is why we don't get discouraged when God disciplines us. We don't get discouraged because it's our loving Father correcting us, getting us back on the right path. He's not through with us. He's not given up on us. That's a good thing. Don't be discouraged by it. Know that the same time in our life is trying to reach people for Jesus it doesn't matter so much what someone can say someone can profess with their mouth they believe in Jesus but if they live in unrepentant sin and they live without the conviction of the Holy Spirit in their lives they are not born again the spirit of the living God would be welling up and wailing on them. Now, again, let me say, and I'll move on. This is just an extra. We do have to be careful with this, though. Because David put on a good face in public, and David was miserable in private. They may just be putting on a good face in public and be miserable in private. We, We don't know. So be careful about someone living in sin and being like, well, you're lost. You don't know Jesus. Be careful about that. But if there are no signs, be concerned for their soul. It is very dangerous if there is no condemnation, there is no conviction, correction, and sin. So David let this weigh on him. Eventually it pressed upon him. It kept on and it kept on. So what did he do? Look at verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not hide my guilt. I said I will confess my wrongdoing to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Finally, the time came where David could not take the conviction any longer. He gave up his fight against God and he confessed his sin. Now, I love the way this is worded. Right? First, he acknowledged his sin. He did not hide his guilt. And he confessed his wrongdoings. 
So he uses these same three words again that he used over here. He wasn't trying to minimize his sin. David did not come to the Lord and, and be like, I, I did a little, I did a whoopsie, God. He, he didn't call it a mistake. He, he sinned. He was wrong in his doings. He was guilty. He done iniquity. He openly admitted what he had done. He wasn't trying to cover his sins up any longer. He wasn't trying to excuse his sins any longer. He was done with that. He had sinned against God. He had rebelled against God. And he was through trying to cover it up. He simply admits and acknowledges and confesses to the Lord, accepting responsibility for what he had done. And I love this next part. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. When David quit covering it up and he quit trying to justify it and he quit trying to resist the, the, the conviction of the Lord, he confessed it. And when he confessed it, the picture is almost, not almost, it is, he confessed and God forgave. It almost gives us the picture of God was, was just waiting, just waiting for David. Come on, come on, come on, do it. And when David said, he confessed, he acknowledged, he accepted his guilt. God said, you're forgiven. I mean, it was, God didn't leave him hanging in the wind. Right? David didn't confess and God would be like, I don't know. This was pretty big. I don't know, David. Ah, let me think about it a couple of days and I'll get back to you. He didn't do anything like that. Instead, there's an instantaneous forgiveness that takes place in David's life the moment he confessed God was waiting to forgive. When we decide we've resisted God long enough, we must confess our sin to God. But confessing our sin is it's more than admitting we made a mistake. It's more than even saying, well, I, I sinned. Confession is saying the same thing God says about our sin. And God says at least three things about all of our sin. He says it was our fault. He says it was against Him. And he says it was serious. If when we confess our sins, we aren't saying at least those three things, we aren't confessing our sin. You say, well, you don't know what that person did to make me. doesn't matter. You still chose. I still chose to act in a certain way. Yeah, but this other people, that they did was far worse. And in comparison, no, no, that's not the point. Well, I didn't have anything to do with God. I just punched a dude in the throat. That has nothing to do with God at all. I just, just that guy. No, no. All sin is against God. All of our sin is serious. All of our sin is our fault. We can't minimize. We can't justify. We, we can't try to excuse it in any way. When we do, we deceive ourselves. And we build a barrier between God and us. Because the conviction, the conviction doesn't go away. And what we begin to do is say, but God, I, I said I was wrong. I said I made a mistake. Why are you still pressing on me? You're so mean. We begin to get bitter toward God. And the reality isn't that God is being mean or that God is changing or God is treating us differently. God still has this one standard. Confess your sin. Acknowledge your guilt. Say you did it and you're responsible. Acknowledge it was against me and it is serious. And when we do, 
we find the same sort of instantaneous forgiveness David found. Our guilt is taken away. Our sins are forgiven. It's all covered and we're restored. I found this to be true time and time again in my life. God's mercy, grace, and willingness to forgive never ceases to amaze me. It is always there when we confess. To experience the blessing of salvation, we must confess our sins to the Lord. And then finally, and we'll go quickly, we must fully surrender our lives. Since God had done this for David, David in verse 6 encourages everyone to do it as well. Basically what David is saying is, don't do what I did. I waited. Maybe their pride, whether it was a sort of entitlement mindset, he was the king, he could do whatever he wants to. Maybe he was afraid God would kick him to the curb or, or something. We, we don't know why he didn't, but he didn't. And so he was miserable. But then when he confessed, he found forgiveness. And so his, his words to us, don't do what I did. Don't let fear keep you from the Lord. He'll forgive you. Don't let your pride keep you from the Lord. Humble yourself. Confess. He'll forgive you. Don't let your feelings of entitlement, you deserve this sin, keep you from the Lord. You don't deserve it. Confess. He'll forgive you. Don't, don't let sin be your downfall. This is kind of what he gets at the last of verse 6 and 7. Certainly. In a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You're my hiding place. You keep me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Verse 10, the sorrows of the wicked are many, but the one who trusts the Lord, goodness will surround him. We look at those verses together. We see that God will either be the one to administer justice, judgment for our sins, or he will be the one to protect us from the floodwaters of judgment. God doesn't want the floodwaters of judgment to hit us. He wants to protect us, but we must confess. We must surrender to him. This involves confessing. And so God is calling, come, repent. Don't let these things overcome you. I'm reading in Ezekiel right now, my daily Bible reading. And there's a particular place where God says, I have no, no joy, no delight in the death of the wicked, says the Lord. And I delight. They would repent be saved. And then he says, why? Why are you going to let sin destroy you, O Israel? Why are you going to let it bring you down? Because forgiveness was there. For us, and I'm going to skip the rest of my sermon and just end here. There's a similar message to us in the moment. There is a choice. There is the harm sin brings into our life. Or there's the grace of God which protects us from the harm our sin would bring into our lives. And God's message to us today is, why would you let sin destroy you when forgiveness is available? Why would you let sin kill you when Jesus died for your sin? Why would you let sin keep you from life when Jesus rose to give you life? Why will you let sin bring you down when Jesus has risen and has ascended? There is no reason 
for sin to be our destruction. Except our choice. Our choice to resist the conviction of the Lord. Our choice to resist, to reject the grace of God found in the cross of Jesus Christ. So I end with a plea. If today sin is a part of your life, and you are living in this rebellion against God, and the Spirit is convicting you, confess today. Pray to the Lord in a time in which He may be found. He is here. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time for this. Don't put it off. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till later. In this moment, we're going to have to respond, respond. God is calling on you to come to Him. And not let sin be your ruin. So the question. Question. What are you going to do? What are you going to do in this time if, if there's sin? If there's a need to confess? Oh, I pray. I pray you would turn to the Lord. I have, I have nightmares. About people who have been a part of our church. They don't seem to know the Lord. To think that people would come. Hear the word preached. Not just one off visitors but repeatedly. And they would harden their hearts. And they would just resist thinking they'll be the exception. It's, it's the sort of thing that gives me nightmares at night. Keeps me up. Keeps me from sleeping. And if you're one of those people that's resisting and rejecting, stop. Stop today. And one last thing, and we will close with this. If there's someone in your life living in sin and resisting and rejecting. Do not tell them they're okay. You're not helping them. You are damning them to make your conscience feel good. Do not send them to hell and you enter into eternity with blood on your hands because you didn't want an uncomfortable conversation. Let the Bible stand, sin separates, God convicts, and Jesus forgives. And do not confirm people in their sin. Let's stand.